Thank you, Peter. It's all good. All good. I think I'm loud enough. I don't want to deafen anyone. Good morning. It is a joy to be here with you this first Sunday uh, that we are here in Montreal. It has been a wild and beautiful adventure. Uh, we know that you have been praying for so long for a rector, and it is mutual. We have been praying for our home church where we would come to serve, and you are just as much an answer to prayer as I hope that we are to you. Uh, you can tell me in a month if that's still true. <laughs> but we are so delighted to be here with you. Um, and I hope, I know you've got a few emails and may know who I am, but my name is Alan. My wife, Katerina, is here, my better half. And we are so delighted to be here. I grew up in the United States, in New Jersey, not too far south of here, um, kind of in the vicinity of New York City. But I've spent the last 12 years in Asia, in Shanghai, for 10 of those years. and have had the joy to really be able to explore the, the, the universal church around the world and to be part of so many different uh, groups. I wasn't raised Anglican, so I'm a convert to this, uh, as some of you might be. I grew up charismatic Pentecostal, as far from this as it might seem on, for some. Um, but I have uh, taken those beautiful roots, I believe, with me and found that this is such a beautiful home, the Anglican tradition. It's a wide home, so it, it uh, encapsulates it includes a lot of us, and so I hope to hold that together in this beautiful family that we are here together. That said, um, I know I did a few things maybe you're not as familiar with. So today, I, we did it during the gospel reading. I brought the gospel to the middle of the congregation here between these two candles, and I'll give anyone a free cup of coffee if you can tell me what those candles are supposed to symbolize. It's a good one, but no. I don't think, I'm not sure, okay. There, it, I could be wrong and there could be multiple meanings because churches like to add as many layers of things, but. Oh, getting there, closer. Kind of, but in a different way. I'll save some of you the effort here, but yeah. Two natures of Christ, very good. Well done. God as fully human, God, or Christ as fully God, or fully human. And the gospel is brought between them because God is fully flesh and comes among his people. They're fully God and each other in human action. And if you don't know what we're doing, it just seems like, oh, there's always two candles, why not three, nine, not six, we just like two. But there's something very important here, and something very special that happens as we're reenacting these things, a truth being spoken, a prophetic word being ministered, maybe beneath the surface, just as Jesus encountered in Capernaum as he was among the people, they did not realize who he was. And there's these moments in life where the bigness, the greatness of God is revealed to us that we are shocked or surprised by, not because God has not been there, not because God has not been working, not because God is absent, but we do not realize, we do not have the revelation to understand. For you who have lived uh, in the faith a while, maybe you can look back and see how God has been moved and been present in ways you did not know until later on. And we see in the first reading that the Israelites are asking for a prophet, particularly because they have experienced the greatness of God, and it is terrifying. They're asking for a prophet like Moses because they need a mediator because when they have encountered the presence of God, the glory of God, the Chabot, the Shekinah, they are terrified. 
they are aware of their weakness, of their sinfulness. And they had good reason. They had also made some graven images and idolatry, and there was a lot of consequence that occurred. And so they asked for, no, no, we, we've seen the glory on Moses, and it has scared us, just as when Jesus gave authority and cast out a demon in Capernaum, they were amazed and astonished, and they asked questions. They were suspicious. They were taken back. If anyone has been to the ocean before, and you've seen it calm, but then you've seen the opposite of that, and maybe you've swam and you've almost drowned or something, or, or you've been snorkeling, and it looks nice, or maybe you've jumped out of a boat, and you looked below, and then, you know, it seems shallow, and then you see how deep the ocean can get, and you've felt that in your heart all of a sudden, a bit of like, there's a deep unknown, and you realize your smallness. That's kind of what's happening here as Jesus speaks with authority, not from Moses, not from what they're familiar with, but they're overwhelmed. It's daunting. And it, I don't take that lightly that today, this, that my first Sunday with you, the passage is about a prophet who speaks, and if he doesn't speak the word of truth, it'd kill him. Um, <laughs> please don't read that too literally. But I, I take that seriously, that when we ever, when any one of us comes up to here to share, we are to speak the words of God. The, we are taking a heavy weight, a heavy yoke upon us, in a sense. But the unique, beautiful thing is, so God comes, uh, we ask for a mediator, we ask for someone to stand in that way, because when we are before the presence of Almighty God, as Isaiah experienced, as Ezekiel experienced, as Moses at the burning bush does, we are overwhelmed as if we've experienced the great depths of the ocean, as our eyes are open to reality as it is. And so in that sense, we are aware of our smallness. We are aware of our need for that bridge, and we ask for that. And the wonderful thing is that as Christians, as believers in Christ, God has covered that bridge. God has made, closed the distance, the gap between us in the Incarnation. So we're in the season of epiphany, a season of remembering manifestations of who Christ is and the moments where in, even in the ordinary moments of life, we see that Jesus is more than just a prophet, more than just another teacher, more than a moral example for us. He is God made flesh. The great uh, Jewish rabbi, Abraham Joshua Heschel said, a prophet's true greatness is his ability to hold God and man in a single thought. To hold God and humanity in a single thought. If only he re realized that it was not another man that would hold God and humanity together, but God's word itself, God would hold man together, humanity together. We, in our smallness and our weakness, need Christ who comes in flesh and closes the gap between us so that we can be in the glory of God and the presence of God. But it's not because of our humanity that we are unable to be in proximity and relationship with God. Sometimes we juxtapose our humanity, our, our self, our, our physical self even, as the obstacle to relationship with God, encouraging people to, you know, you need to transcend yourself. And there's a very big movement in our world, even now, to leave humanity behind, transhumanism, or to uh, 
use technology to elevate ourselves and to be more, supersede who we are, but the great irony is that in our own weakness and recognition that we are not enough, God becomes us. God becomes human. God glorifies himself in humanity. This is incredibly important because as the great church father Gregory of Nazianzus would say, Christ cannot heal what he has not assumed. And so God, Christ, has assumed all that we are, our very human nature, so that who we are, so humanity itself is healed, and your humanity in some sense is the place, the location by which God heals us, saves us, reveals his glory to us. As we go to the New Testament reading, we look at this moment. This is Jesus' first miracle in Mark. This is his first announcement. And what has he done? He has shown that he has come into occupied territory. It's not a neutral place. He is in, it's, it, it is the small town, fishing village of Capernaum, but there are other forces at work. And those are the first ones to recognize Jesus, who he really is. And likewise, when the word of God goes forward, when the will of God is going forward, is often the alien outside forces that first recognize that. And in this moment where this, this uh, demonic experience happens, when the forces of evil recognize who is present, what does Jesus do? He does not leave his humanity. In fact, he speaks a simple word, be silent. It, it, is, it is tempting in our faith to encourage us that devotion to Christ will look like greater levels of spiritual transcendence. But often it is the very nature of God revealed in our humanity, in our in simplicity, in gentleness, that itself drives out, expunges, and is victorious over evil. That's true of the evil that we ourselves are intrinsically part of, of the systems and the things that are broader and bigger than us. And I think that is a great encouragement today because when we look at how difficult the world might be and how many great obstacles there are and how much the forces and the powers that be might be resisting the will of God, it is not in grand and large, overwhelming ways that God is victorious, but in the small, simple, sometimes very quiet, human relationship that overcomes the darkest corners of our world. We will not extinguish evil in ourselves or in our world by voting better, although you should vote well, by being more creative with your economics, which you should, we need intelligence. But it will often be in the simple daily rhythms of words spoken in truth, not by grander arguments, Jesus does not confront evil and argue the spirit out of him. He speaks a simple word of truth. It is in particularity, not in overgeneralizations and abstract things. It is in Capernaum. It is in a synagogue on a, a, a Sabbath. And these little details, they seem like they're just locating us there. But it is to remember that evil is confronted in particularity, in real life, not in grand abstract things in our lives, in ourselves today. 
As Paul would say, Jesus confronts the world of sin and death, a world enslaved to these things, and we are freed by Christ who comes and dwells in, in fully in God, uh, in flesh, and heals us. Not to be something else, but to be who we were always meant to be. Jesus is the most human. And he encourages us that our own humanity is redeemed. So that death and the mockery of it is overturned. The incarnation, in a sense, as we see this, is not some extra doctrine, but it is the kind of the DNA beneath the surface of these stories that uh, reveals the, the deep current, the greater ocean, as we see what's happening as Jesus is revealed. And so we know that God honors himself by becoming human, and God has chosen not to be God without us. It is hard to belittle humanity when you realize that there, there will not be, there is no eternity where we are not because of the incarnation. God, will not, God is not God without us because of Christ. Not because God could not be God, but because God chose us to love us. And by the way, that's, that's Karl Barth, so I didn't invent that, if you're wondering. And so today I believe we are encouraged to see that we address the evil in ourselves, the things that separate us from God. We can come with confidence before his throne of grace because God is with us. God is for us. And it's not going to be because we can revel ourselves up and, and make things more exciting or glory doesn't require more luminosity, shinier new things. It comes in the small and quiet and gentle confidence of truth being spoken. And so God does not come to make us less, but more. He does not come to dissolve ourselves, but to fully embody and to help us embody ourselves. And we do not, therefore, struggle against some abstract things, but against real, tangible life. God is good. And his love endures forever. And Jesus has revealed who God is to us. And it is, uh, as we come before the table shortly, I believe our response cannot be summarized or given in three or four points, but, but truly is a response of wonder and awe. And faith will not come by we having uh, the list of everything I need you to check off and believe today. It will come when you experience that the greatness of the ocean is much deeper than you realized. When you, authority is spoken and you, uh, it makes you aware that there's more happening. And if you come with those, the eyes of faith in that way to the table today, you'll realize that what's here is more than just a few pieces of bread and some wine, some crackers or grape juice. But once again, the ordinary elements, the simple elements of life communicating grace. To nourish our souls, to nourish our humanity. And so just as Jesus comes between us and comes and bridges that gap and takes that step towards us that we might be in him and we too can do that 
and step here in that beautiful intersection between the love of God and the grace of God and receive. I am so grateful to be here with you. And I hope that my prayer is that in some little way I can embody what Jesus has called us to do, to become near to you in the messiness of everyday life, to pray with you, to weep with you, to just laugh with you. And I encourage you, if you're new here, or you haven't been doing that yet, that that is the beautiful messiness of being the church. Now, there's, a, there's an old saying that the speed at which God moves is three miles an hour. I don't know what that is in kilometers, I'm sorry. Thank you. But it's the speed at which human beings walk. It's the speed at which we walk. So as you walk at the speed of God to the table today, may you know that he's with you. He comes forward with you, and you're coming to meet him, God to God, light from light, true God from true God. I want to take a moment now to encourage you. We're going to profess the creed together in a few moments, but I want to take a moment to pause, to pray, and to offer a time for you to respond to the message and to pray as well and lift up your prayers today to what the Lord might be saying to you through the scriptures, through the sermon, through whatever, through the songs. Spears with us. So let's just take a few moments and I invite you to respond after I pray.